0: Center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. Welcome, gentlemen. Morning, good good morning, Morning. They're here uh, each and every Wednesday. went Wednesday. <laughs> Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday. That's a whole new time. Wednesday. Each. Well, actually, it could be Wednesday because that that Ness in there. I and mean, what good is that? Wednesday. Ness Day. Who needs that? One yeah. of those Greek gods, probably. I'm uh, telling you. Actually, it was a uh, it was a. Uh, Scandinavian, the Norse yeah, god. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, never mind. Never mind all that. Holy lack of knowledge. Whatever day it is, the guys are here. And uh, as we do when they're here, we like to, uh, to to pick their brains, get their thoughts on issues uh, around the community. Um, actually, I've got a couple of things. I just want to run by you and get your, get your take on it. And folks, the lines are always open, too, during this portion of the show. We welcome your calls. If you want to join us, if you've got something to say or a question to ask, please feel free to do that. We have not touched on this issue on the program uh, virtually at all, the Bill Clinton thing with uh, everything that's happening in the States and Monica and all of that stuff because... Quite frankly, I in- was not interested in it when it was simply about did he or didn't he. But it's moved way beyond that now. We had former Michigan governor and uh, American ambassador united to Canada, rather, Jim Blanchard on earlier today, and he allowed us how he didn't think there was any way he was going to be impeached. He said, And he said, quote, they just don't have the votes in the Senate to do it. Setting that aside, whether or not this is successful, is this a positive or a negative for a political system that you can call a leader like this to this kind of account. And Jeff, I'd ask you first.
1: Uh, I think it's very bad. Uh, precedent, and I think that what effectively we've seen is that uh, we had K- uh, Judge Starr, Ken Starr, uh, get involved in the first place over Whitewater, I think, was the original mm-hmm. thing, and that was fine, that uh, the president may have been involved in financial wrongdoing and so on, but it, what it ended up becoming though was like a standing committee on the president, on investigating every aspect of the president, now leaving aside the fact that the guy's a total moron, knowing that he's got this investigative committee sort of all over him and doing these stupid things knowing all that uh, and also leaving aside the fact that last time we talked about this I said that if he had any common decency he would resign because of the things that he's done and I still think that that's the case notwithstanding that though any um, where anytime we've where got a situation and theirs is different than ours where the leader may not be of the ruling party you know, whereas in Canada, the Prime Minister is always going to be of the party that has the most votes in the House mm-hmm. of Commons. In the States, you've got a Democratic, uh, Democrat uh, leader and a Republican-dominated uh, House of Representatives and Senate. So it seems to me that in a situation like that, you could end up with a situation where you have this new phenomenon of the standing special investigator or whatever he was, special counsel investigating the president because he's appointed by the House uh, and the Senate have a majority of votes and they can do it. It's like the opposition party can appoint this guy to, to look into the leader. And, and effectively, Star was out there and just sort of cast around and around and around until eventually he could find something to, to tag him with. And, and it ended up being totally different than what they had started out with. Um, so, the problem with that, from my perspective, is first of all, you end up with this standing committee that has the effect of uh, hobbling the president, who's got better things to be doing, frankly. And then you've got the phenomenon that the... Uh, rep- because the House and the Congress, or the Congress and Senate are dominated by the opposition party, they have enough votes that they can ram this thing through. Uh, now, whether they can succeed or not at the end of the day is another thing, but they have enough votes that they can vote to impeach him, they can vote to hold this uh, senatorial trial and all this kind of stuff, because they've got the votes to do it. And it seems to me like a, almost a form of of uh, retaliation. You know, the Republicans got hammered and the election just, just passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, everybody seemed to read from that that the American public were saying, look at, you know, he did a bad thing, but we don't want him fired from the job. Move on. And, uh, but... Coming out of that, though, a lot of Republican, well, several Republican careers were ruined, not the least of which was Newt Gingrich, the, uh, the leader, uh, House leader. And uh, it seems like now it's just sour grapes. They're just retaliating and saying, we've got the votes to drag you through the mud and embarrass, embarrass you, and we're determined to do it. Uh, I don't see it serving any useful purpose whatsoever. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that it's a fixed term. He's done in two years. Like, he can't stay on after that. By the time they drag anything through, we're going to be looking at that anytime, anyway.
0: Like, it's a moot point. Bob, what about you? Is this a positive or a negative that they have the ability to call a, their, their most senior elected official to account?
2: That they have the ability to do it, yeah. I think, is a positive, as long as the criteria for which they do it were clearly spelled out in advance. It really struck me as quite odd that they would be going after a president for what I saw was just some sexual impropriety at first, and then later we found out, oh, no, he was supposedly lying. Mm-hmm. Uh first it was about the sexual impropriety which, you know, almost everyone says well I would have lied in that situation too mm-hmm. but then we find out he was counseling other people to lie under oath and that becomes an issue of justice since he is the, you know, sort of like the number one guy in the country who's supposed to be looking after the justice mm-hmm. system and he's, he's abusing it so from a uh, point of view of that, I can see why they're going after him, but whether anybody's going to win out of this, I just can't see it. I think the Republicans are making themselves look look pretty bad. I can't see them, they're going after him as, as being positive to them in the long run, because... Uh, people are going to remember that most of the american public i don't think agrees with with going after clinton for this kind of thing and they'll remember the republicans for that and that might just swing the vote back to back to the democrats next election
0: six four three twelve ninety is the telephone number star twelve ninety on the Cantel. we always welcome your calls and comments during left right and center and gail is with us on the telephone hi gail
3: hi i didn't particularly want to talk but i was gonna ask the kid answering the phone to make my point um, Ken Starr was not appointed by the Congress. He was appointed by Clinton's attorney general and a three-judge panel. So this is strictly out of the Congress's hands. He has to, if he finds any impeachable defenses, and this is a democratic law which he thinks is impeachable, he has to report to the House of Representatives. But that's the only time that they are involved in it at all.
1: So, should there be a standing committee, do you think, investigating the president? Sort of a permanent well, standing committee? Well,
3: I, frankly, have always uh, opposed this law, but the Democrats wanted it after the impeachment of Nixon. And I don't think they got any uh, Republican support for the law because what it does, it takes away, it takes power away from the, the attorney general. She, uh, she or he is supposed to be you know, taking care of enforcing the law. And this, I mean, even in the Constitution, it, it may be unconstitutional to have one of these things. It's never been tested. Mm-hmm. But that was the common uh, belief, but because the Democrats had a majority, they said, we want this law, and they got it. But, it. but it doesn't have anything to do with the Congress, except that they, the Democrats wrote the law, and of course, Congress makes the laws.
1: You may, be, you may be more familiar with this than I am, and one thing that I don't understand then is that the Attorney General would re- report to the President, presumably, as part of the Cabinet. So I, I'm not sure why it happened to Clinton, and it didn't happen to Reagan, for instance. It did. Well, there was the, uh, the uh, Contra. Uh, Iran Contra. Right.
3: It yeah. happened to... They never, uh, su-
1: there, there was never a suggestion of impeachment arising from that that I re- Oh, uh, no.
0: No. But, but that was a Republican was President a, with a Republican there Congress. There
3: was a report, and unless the Independent counsel. Believes that there are in, uh, impeachable offenses. Congress never hears about it. Mm-hmm. They report back to the judges.
0: All right. Appreciate the call, Gail. Okay. Good to hear from you. And Jean's with us. Hi, Jean.
4: Hi. How are you this
3: morning?
0: Fine, thank you. Good.
4: Um, I just have one comment to make about this. Uh, and I got most of my ma- uh, information from Time Magazine because I subscribe to it. Mm-hmm. I I think what he did was just apprehensible. I mean. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. But what makes me the most angry about the whole thing is they <clears throat> talked in these impeachment proceedings about this chaste little girl intern. But she wasn't a chaste little girl. She came to Washington with a mission. And she achieved her goal. Mm-hmm.
1: What goal was that?
4: Well, she went to work in the White House so that she could have an affair with Bill Clinton. That was, she was running around, previous to Bill Clinton, she was running around with her married school teacher out
0: well, yeah, but what's this got to do? What we're really talking about, Gene, is is this process and whether it's a positive process to have, a, it, within your well, ju- judicial structure, the, well, the ability to go after a senior. Well, I don't think it's
4: positive process because I think there's too many improprieties behind it. Mm-hmm. This Linda Tripp
0: Well, no, we don't want to go no, there,
4: No, Gina. but di- now you just listen. Hear this for a minute, Jim. She taped all these calls. She was working at the... At the Pentagon for seventy-five thousand dollars a
0: year. Jean, I understand what you're going to yeah, say, but that's not, not what we're not talking worked, about.
4: Jim, she has not worked since the day she went to the the, the council. Mm-hmm. So what is this lady living on? She's a single parent. Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think she's and, living on?
4: Well, I think that some probably somebody from the Republican Party is paying her off. Mm,
0: you don't think that would come to light if that were the case?
4: Isn't there lots lot that gone in politics? It
0: seems well, to, yeah, to right be there. a
4: politician. The best criteria is to be a liar.
0: Yeah, no, I can't argue that with you. Gene, <laughs> we have to leave it there. I appreciate your call, though. And we'll be back right after this. Left, right, and mm-hmm. center with Schlemmer and Metz. Now, I, I, I don't want to go down this did she or didn't she, who said what, who did what to whom. That's really not what we're talking about today with reference to bill clinton i'm we're hoping or i'm trying to get some thoughts on the bigger picture here on the role of uh shall we say an, an, an oversight uh body on uh, senior political leaders and i put this question out too that uh well, well actually let me back up a little bit bob raised this point during the commercial that one of the negatives to this is that you get linda trips coming out of the woodwork if this mechanism is in place uh, who knows who's going to come yeah. forward with whatever kind of story
2: someone sees that there and says gee I could take advantage of this process never mind anything else but just get in on the process and started acting and and you can do a lot of damage that way
0: now in Canada we are much more reluctant to do anything like this and we've seen a good example lately I think in the so-called spray pack affair when uh, it doesn't look as though anything's going to get off the ground even though there are some serious questions to be asked about the prime minister's role or lack thereof uh, we just we're not interested in this sort of thing in Canada. Do you, you fellas think that's good or bad?
2: Well, <laughs> a, is that good or bad that we're interested in?
0: I think I think
2: you know It's never the majority that's interested in a big issue. It's always certain minorities and and I think there has been a lot of action on this more than what I'm used to seeing in Canada um, I Think the issue you know you're talking about the the, the spraying in in Vancouver mm-hmm. pepper spray um, I heard through some of my sources that that's really not the issue at all. In fact, the people who were pepper sprayed were were, were advancing against a line of police mm-hmm. and quite frankly deserved to be pepper sprayed in that case. Mm-hmm. The issue was, the people who were arrested in advance before anything even happened mm-hmm. and were arrested in case they might do something, yeah. I think that's the issue that's been obscured by the whole yeah. pepper
1: spray That's a good deal. point,
0: very good point. Yeah. yeah,
2: I'd say they're both issues actually, And uh, but
1: it is interesting the, the different way that we look at this and, and it may be, I don't know, dare I suggest it comes back to our national psyche and that we're into peace order and good government and the idea that as long as you're doing your job we're not, not going to look too heavily into your private life and so on and, and at a time you know, it wasn't that long ago when that seemed to be the case in the United States as well, mm-hmm. uh, and I think about uh, the tradition in government generally. I look at the royal family, for instance, and and uh, aristocrats in Europe, uh, you know, who are all baffled by uh, the attention that the public are paying to this Clinton thing, and you wonder how much of it is salacious as opposed to an interest in genuinely uh, having a better government. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you can't can't deny the influence of of I guess the media and the fact that it, it's. Uh, titillating, you know, to, to hear about these kinds of details. But uh, at root again, it just seems like uh, they've sort of gone too far the other way, and I, and I suspect that they'll have to pull back because, again, the precedent of this idea that a uh, majority can uh, can gang up on the president I think is just an unhealthy one. And I really wonder whether this would be happening if there was a Democratic majority in
0: the Congress. Let's go to the phones again where Dan's waiting. Hi, Dan. Hi. I
5: think uh, this is really good from the American bashing point of view. <laughs> I mean, I think this is all looks good on the Americans. They think they're the most important nation on the planet. And you know, it's kind of nice to see the neighborhood bully eat humble pie once in a while.
0: But how does this, this doesn't affect the American nation.
5: Well, they think that that that, that uh, they have the best economy, they have the best ideology, and and you know sometimes here in Canada we have an inferiority complex because we live next door to them. So I think from that point of view, it it's kind of nice to see all this.
0: Well, oh, Dan, you know you know what they call that, Dan? There's a German word for that. It's called Schadenfreude. It <laughs> means it means taking delight in the misery of others.
6: Yeah. Well, you got to have a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call, Dan.
2: Okay, bye. Take care. Bye-bye. You well, know, actually, I think Dan's <laughs> point speaks to a positive thing about the United States, that unlike so many other countries in the world, their leader can be put to such scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And and that's pop- possibly why they're one of the greatest nations in the world. I mean, sure, the process has problems, and you're always going to have people abusing process or going after the president for various personal and political reasons, but believe me, that happens in every other country, too. Yeah, that's interesting. Well,
0: Here we have the most, uh, arguably the most powerful man on the planet, yes. and he is still subject to review by his uh, by his peers and by those he uh, who allow him to govern. Exactly. So I,
2: I don't think they're eating humble pie. I think they're demonstrating to the world, look at us. We're a country that actually looks at our leaders and we can criticize
1: them. And, we're strong enough to do And that. we're strong enough to do it. Well, the other part of it, uh, just to, to enlarge on that, I was reading about uh, Clinton and sort of after he leaves office and sort of where he's going to be when you talk about the legal fees that he's got to pay and so on, and uh, i sort of assumed that like the party would like after these and that kind of thing uh, that uh, he would be set for life one way or another but you look at uh, first of all what he makes for for a living he makes a lot less than a lot of my friends do mm-hmm. for instance who are lawyers in town uh and, and i think that again is a very healthy thing the idea that you can't get too big for your bridges you may sort of have the finger on the nuclear button but you know watch watch yourself mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing yeah let's
0: go back to the phones where gord joins us hi gordon
5: hi jim i think he just stumbled into the truth by saying that he is subject to review, like any other citizen. And I think Jeff alluded to this fact that the Europeans are kind of baffled. And I I would say the reason why they're baffled is because they believe in kings, period. Mm -hmm. I mean, here we have a principle, the rule of law. Is the chief administrator of justice going to be allowed to tamper with witnesses to obstruct justice? That is the issue. Mm -hmm. And if he has proven to have done that for for the Com- justice committee, then they should impeach. Plain and simple.
1: I think part of the problem with that, though, is that that kind of activity has been so common. Uh, you know, we've yes, exactly. Before.
5: That is the problem. It's been so common. Yeah, away I don't with think it's. I don't, don't know it's going to get any better, to though. That speaks Gord's
2: point, though, doesn't it, Jeff? That, that that's the case. You know, this this issue came up, and, and I'm glad you brought it up, Gord, because that is the issue. You know, a lot of people are saying, well, this isn't democracy the way that we're going after the president in the states, because most of the people don't support it. And to my to me, the response is, you're right, it's not democracy. It's a country that operates on a principle.
5: Right. It's and a it's republican princi- a republic with a representative democracy. correct. and 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 also, I think at point here, is that there's a pattern of behavior that Bill Clinton has exhibited in other cases where he has obstructed justice mm. and tampered with, with witnesses. Yeah, but and that's that not ad- the case with Whitewater.
0: But that's not it, admissible in a court of law. Uh, this is a-
5: not a court of law. This is a political process in the House of Representatives. I predict that Bill Clinton will be indicted after he is out of office. He will probably be pardoned by Al Gore. But I, I, I predict that Hillary Clinton will also be indicted in Whitewater.
0: Although there's
1: nothing stopping them right now, isn't there? Didn't they try and get some ruling to say that they couldn't uh, well, charge them until as I know, after they Well, I've
5: they've, were they've uh, submitted uh, an indictment to the court that's under seal.
1: But I, I believe that there was a lawsuit where they had tried to argue that the president shouldn't be uh, he shouldn't be able to sue the president until after he's done his term of office, and they certainly said, you know, no, that's no, that you can be sued. That was for civil lawsuit. Yeah, that's okay. I guess part of the problem I have with that is that there's also, you talk about uh, witness tampering and uh, and perjury and all that stuff, that uh, from my perspective, and again, this may be the lawyer in me, uh, the, the slippery side talking, but it's one thing if you do it in a parking ticket case. It's another thing if you do it in a murder case. Realistically, if we're going to start putting in jail or, or sanctioning, firing everybody who lies in a parking ticket case, yeah, nobody's going to have a job. job but
5: the, the problem with this case, though, is that there's, there's so many other issues. There's the Vince Foster case where they... They did uh, tamper with evidence, you know. There, there, there's so much stuff here that can't be directly pointed to the president, but his underlings have done so many bad things.
1: But doesn't that, that come back to the rule of law, though, because none of those things are an issue here today?
5: Well, like in, no, in this, I think it's procedure. a pattern of behavior that, that the House of Representatives is recognizing that, and that this case is one case that didn't get away Uh, this is one case that wasn't massaged by the president's
0: advisors. You might be right, Gordon. Appreciate the call, sir. Thanks for joining us. I want to move the focus, not necessarily change it, but give a little different perspective here relative to something that Gord said, and it's a story out of Toronto today, uh, which I wanted to get to with you guys anyway. Um, He made reference to the fact that Clinton had done all of these other things and was known to have done all all these other lapses of judgment and so on, and I said that that's not admissible in a court of law. There is a case in Toronto of a uh, a prostitute, a self-admitted prostitute, who was acquitted of extortion. The story was that she... uh, she uh, had made herself available to an undercover police officer, and she had offered him a sexual service for forty dollars. And then, when he agreed to that, or whatever he did, now he's an undercover cop, right? He's looking to catch her. Um, before he identified himself, she identified herself as an undercover police officer, and said that uh, if you give me three hundred dollars, I won't arrest you for you've just committed a criminal act here to uh, to solicit this uh, this sexual service. Now. She was acquitted um, because the jury felt that, in this case, the, uh, she convinced them that she hadn't done it, that the uh, police officer, for whatever reason, was not a credible witness and that she wouldn't do something like this. Uh, she's getting out of prostitution. Uh, she's going to learn, quote, learn computers, close quote. And uh, the, uh, the uh, jury believed her. Now, here's where it gets interesting to me. Uh, Mr. Justice Ted Matlow sat uh, and heard the case. He earlier had prohibited um, the introduction of evidence that would have shown, for example, that she had been convicted three times in 1996 for impersonating an officer, and uh, had been convicted again that year uh, with extortion under similar circumstances. Now, she has convinced the jury, because the jury didn't know this information, that she's uh, pure as the driven snow and is going to, again, quote, learn computers. Um, Jeff, I want to ask you, you're a lawyer. Now, we understand that an individual crime should stand on its own. I think we all understand the value or the potential value of that principle. But in this case, was justice served? Did that jury not have a right to know that this might very well be part of a pattern of behavior on this woman's part?
1: well it's interesting it's something that I, I talk about in my law class uh, and I'm, I'm not I'm not a criminal lawyer so I'm not fully totally up to speed on sort of latest uh, criminal evidence law but I, I remember being surprised in law school by this idea that similar fact evidence was not admissible in court in other words if you if you've done in the past, the thing that you're you're accused of doing now, that's not relevant, and that can't come before the uh, person who makes the decision about your guilt in this particular case. And I I guess there was this kind of rationale that, uh, you know, well, what's happened in the past isn't important. We're looking at what happened here today. But as a matter of of common sense, uh, and sort of as a matter of the way we all think, For me, if I find out somebody's got a long history of doing something, I think, well, they probably are more likely to have done it this time than they were in the past. And so I've I've always really wondered about that. But I've had cases as well where I've had uh, uh, situations where people have had maybe a criminal record for having done the same thing that they're uh, supposed to have done, not in a criminal context, but in a civil context, uh, and their criminal record is not admissible. You can't introduce evidence that they did it before. Uh, And and I really question that. I I worry about that. I I think that it is relevant, and I I am happy to be proven wrong or have someone explain it to me, but to me, if you've done it in the past, particularly if you've done it a bunch of times, then it makes it more likely you did do it in this case. what's, I guess, sort of the the wrinkle in this case, and I don't know if this was played up by the lawyer, but I presume it was, was the idea that from her perspective, as far as she knew, she was sort of like uh, doing something illegal to somebody who was doing something illegal. So it's like a victim who's sort of an unsavory victim, uh, and in that case uh, there's this suggestion that sort of two wrongs make a right.
0: Bob, uh, (laughs) what about you now? uh, Do you agree Uh, with Jeff that we may, this is something that, uh, I guess in an ideal world, that we might reconsider?
2: I think the judge was quite appropriate in saying that you don't bring in previous convictions into the case before the guilt and innocence of this particular case has been determined. But after that has been determined, then you must definitely bring in the previous convictions. But what does it matter then? Because the judge is going to pass sentence. If it's a one Not if she's
0: acquitted, though. She was acquitted of this charge. Oh, okay.
2: Acquitted entirely. Well, then, then, peop- then they assume she was innocent. We have to make that assumption. It's a loophole. But had she been found guilty, mm-hmm. then the previous evidence should have been brought well, why, in I, I as don't, far as I don't understand. passing a judgment. I don't
0: understand why the judge should uh, why the judge should let that information influence his sentencing when he felt it uh, shouldn't be allowed to influence the jury's uh, uh, coming to a verdict. Because I think the point
2: <laughs> of, of finding someone guilty of a particular incident is you have to find them the proof of that incident. They may be innocent and you find them guilty on the virtue of previous uh, convictions and, and the person was just in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time. I mean, we've always heard those kind of horror stories, so, you know, this is part of the justice system where we are due our due process and we're presumed innocent until proven guilty in each instant not just because we did it once or twice in the past but because we have to be found guilty now I'd love to hear some more of the history of that but uh, like from my perspective if I had a child who did something wrong
1: for instance and they've done it wrong several times from my perspective that would be relevant that's something you would want to know about in assessing whether they're probably the guilty party in this particular case or not
2: well look at the folks uh, the jurors in the OJ Simpson case they said if they knew half of the stuff that the public knew in the media that they would never have found the guy innocent, you know?
0: Yeah, we wonder how they but, did that anyway. Well, right? you know... <laughs> There's more to this case, too, that I didn't tell you yet, and see if this makes any difference to, to your thinking, either one of you, or you folks at home who are listening. Uh, this woman's name is Kim McMahon, this uh, self-described hooker. Um, and that's the phrase that was used, the term that was used. Uh, she said, I'm mean, talking to the Toronto Sun, she said she pleaded guilty to the, to the previous impersonating crimes, quote, because someone with a long record like mine doesn't get bail. I could spend months in jail waiting to go to trial, or I could plead guilty and be out in 7 to 10 days. Now, I have to guess, Jeff, that she's probably right about that issue. I presume so, and I know that certainly the, um, the
1: trend over the last uh, few years has been to have much shorter jail sentences and, and much far fewer jail sentences just because the jails are so full. Like, we've got far more people in jail than we've ever had. Um, so that's probably true. The other thing that that's, I sort of wonder about is... Uh, maybe if she's got a long string of convictions she would have a a, a bigger sentence but uh generally you know if you if you tried to extort somebody for $300 over an issue of prostitution i would think it's a pretty petty crime realistically in the in the scheme of things it's not a murder no, it's not it's a rape. An extortion extortion yeah, like, this comes back to my parking ticket thing and if you've broken a city bylaw you've broken
0: a law and uh, yeah but it's the, but you haven't you've broken a law but it's not a, what what statute law is that what they call what what's the the bylaw is not does not have the same weight as the as the uh, oh, criminal code.
1: code. Oh, sure, it does does yeah. it, They're both laws of the land. The, the bylaws are passed pursuant to the authority of the municipal act, which is a provincial statute a legal law in the same way as any other law is. Uh, but again, I think it's a much less serious law. And when I hear about a fraud case, which effectively is what this is, fraud plus an element of sort of coercion, um, but it's 300 bucks, it's like, uh, it's
0: 300 bucks. Okay, know. let me ask both of well,
2: you. I know, uh, oh, the whole issue here is that prostitution shouldn't be illegal in the first place, where these situations wouldn't arise. No, that's an issue for another day. <laughs> I want to
0: I But, but, but that, that corrupts
2: the whole the whole legal system right from the start. Yeah. You know, when, when you're dealing with so-called crimes that aren't
0: mm-hmm. I agree with you you've know, so, so, you got
2: though. to expect extortion that's <laughs> just going to be part of the game you're going to see that in drugs, prostitution all those so-called vices, you know
0: well, they are vices, but yeah. the question is, are they crimes? And you and I, I agree that they're not. So. Well, that's the other
1: thing. When it takes place in the context of a, of a uh, negotiation over prostitution, it just takes on a much different flavor than it would if it was somebody trying to extort a, a, a minister over the collection plate. You know, it's just uh, it's Jeff, an unsavory
0: world. Jeff, you said something earlier, though, that, that caught my mind, or caught my mind, caught my ear, uh, when you talked about the relative seriousness of crimes. There was a time in Western culture when, uh, not entirely, but crimes were held to be uh... extortion was extortion theft was theft it didn't matter whether you stole a loaf of bread or a zillion dollars it was still theft the idea was that it was the crime that mattered it was the fact that you had turned your back on society or repudiated society's values that that was what was important and we had terrible things happening like people being sentenced to die for literally for stealing a loaf of bread uh... i don't think anybody wants to go back to that type of justice because it did not appear to work it did not appear to have the result that we might have wanted which was to eliminate crime from society it still didn't do it people still committed crimes but have we gone too far in the other direction do we take into account too much that if someone for example uh, uh, what are we gonna say somebody smashes a window in your car uh, or somebody steals the car and totals it uh, one would be held to be a much less serious crime than the other but you can make a case and the case has been made that it's exactly the same cr- uh, crime and it is interfering with the personal property of another and that by acknowledging that one is less serious than another that we're almost tacitly saying well yeah as long as it's not too serious we're not going to get too worked up about it when the fact the reality is that it is the same crime and it's, agree. The, and it's the same interference with another person's life
1: yeah the mental element is is arguably the same I think that uh what, what the problem is is that out in the real world, we just can't afford to uh, to treat them the same, and uh, and I'm not happy about it either. Uh, although we've talked in the past about sentencing, and I think that there could be a lot of things they do in terms of punishment that are a lot would have a much greater
0: deterrent effect than jail, for instance. But you're but you're assuming that this individual would be caught and would necessarily have to go to jail. What I'm wondering is if we were to change and simplify the code. Might, might that not have the result of reducing the amount of criminal activity? If the kid is going to throw not the kid, let's keep kids out of it for a minute because that's a little different, but the drunken sot who's going home and decides he's going to kick the windows in in your car, uh, if he knew in advance that if he gets caught, it's not a slap on the wrist; it's a very, very serious offense. Is he is likely to do it in the first place? I mean, that's what deterrence is all about.
1: Yeah, well, it's certainly been tried. You know, in history, in different places, you try more severe punishments and you try less severe punishments. Qu- sort of ironically, right now, in the last several years, we've been moving towards less jail time and uh, and all these alternative measures and all that stuff. At the same time, as the crime rate's been going down, uh, and I don't know if there's a link between them the two of them or not, but that's what's happening.
2: I think that's more. Down- Demographics, because the population's getting older, and, and generally it's younger people who are doing most of the crime.
0: I still have but, a question about crime stats, and What are well, these crime stats? Where yeah. do they come from? And what do they mean?
2: But fundamentally, what you'd like to do is live in
1: a society where people don't want to commit a crime. Mm-hmm. You know, and the question is, uh, like, a, in some ways, I, I think it would be fascinating to be a criminologist or somebody who sits back and tries to figure out like what motivates these guys. But you
0: see, I, I, don't, I wouldn't care about living in a, in a society where people don't want to commit crime. I don't care whether they want to or not. I'd be happy just to live in a society where they where they're afraid to, where they don't do it. I don't care why. I don't care if they're if it's if they're suffering because they can't be criminals. As long as they're not criminals, that's all I care about. But I think
1: that you run into these problems. Like for instance, I remember uh, with the Lindbergh kidnapping that uh, one of the issues there was that I think it was the Lindbergh one where they're talking about kidnapping and how it had a death penalty and how it. It caused the person to kill the victim mm-hmm. rather than uh, risk mm-hmm. them exposing them.
2: You know you run into these unintended oh, consequences S- same when when New York tried to enact a death penalty for heroin possession, you know, somebody having heroin on him just as easily going to kill a cop after him because he's going to get the
1: same Why not? Penalty. Yeah Why you, not?
0: you you might get away. Right. you might get away exactly. so, so it, it seems like
1: human behavior has a way of sort of reacting in ways that you don't expect, mm-hmm. and yeah it's hard to anticipate all of those things. and it would be nice if you could just say, yeah, if we bring in more stiff punishment then then people will think twice about it but what they seem to do is they be more they're more stealthy I don't you know, think they're more need, concerned about getting away they, think they do more violent things so to get away much
2: as as consequences to the crime i think you know proper, yeah. property is an extension of the self and when someone violates your property they violated you mm-hmm. and the first thing that the justice system should do is ensure that you are recompensed by that criminal mm-hmm. for whatever damage he has done to you to whatever extent is possible through mm-hmm. the justice system he should also pay for the cost of his incarceration and for the cost of going through the court system. Mm -hmm. That should all be part of his, quote, penalty. We don't need to, quote, punish him above and beyond uh, beyond that, perhaps except in a very minor degree, but, uh, I mean, that to me is where where it has to happen because until victims start feeling that they're getting something out of the justice system. I mean, I was assaulted once and the guy who assaulted me went through the whole court system and he got fined $50 at the end of it. You know, it cost me a week of my life, cost me all kinds of untold Mm -hmm. issues and lost property Mm -hmm. and everything else. And the $50 didn't even cover 10 minutes' time in the courtroom. Well, I agree with you. That's why I talk about how sentencing could be a
1: lot different. I think that the idea of personalizing an assault, there are societies where they do that. And they talk about sentencing circles and those kinds of Mm -hmm. things where you are required to face your victim and make them whole again to the extent that you can. And I think that those are the kinds of things that will deter people. But right now we've got this faceless society where people go into the criminal justice system. There's no... The the victim is really never discussed until you get to sentencing where they may at least now have an impact statement but uh, from the standpoint of uh, criminal and not that I you know have any particular expertise in this but my sense is that they go through it and just see it as being processed through like any other system. Great.
0: Well there's an interesting story uh, from Ottawa. Uh, justice Minister Anne McClellan has announced that she's going to amend or at least uh, introduce legislation to amend the criminal code to empower victims in Canada's justice system by giving them a clear right to address their attackers. And by granting judges sweeping authority to protect their identities, so here we have a situation where the courts have taken one step. Anyway, they're now saying you can go, kind of go face to face and do the victim impact thing with your with your attacker, and the judges uh, will be able to uh, to exclude the press from a lot more cases if it's felt that that coverage will be even more detrimental to the victim. It's not about protecting the perpetrator, but protecting the victim. Um, there's very little in it, uh, although there's a little bit about the, uh, the, the surcharge, the victim s- so-called victim-fine surcharge. Uh, there has been one in place, but it's been optional at the discretion of the judge. They're going to make it mandatory. And uh, the offenders would have to prove they couldn't afford to pay it before they'd be let off the hook. The surcharge amounts to $35 or 15% of the fine. I mean, that's... Uh, why bother at all? Why bother doing that? Yeah, these are your people, Jeff. What's going on here? <laughs>
1: Well, it's just another form of taxation, I guess. (laughs) Taxation on crime. Like, effectively, that would end up being part of... Like, fines go to general revenue if you pay a fine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like the judge keeps the money. The money goes to pay for the court system and all that stuff. And it's actually a a profitable enterprise from the standpoint of the government. They make money on the courts. Uh, But, uh, yeah, that's a good question as far as that end of it. But uh, the other thing that we talked about a bit was the idea of the victim and how, if anybody's going to be compensated, it should be the victim. Like, why should government get money because somebody beat you up? Mm -hmm. I just have never understood that. That either yeah. uh, I understand that the traditional rationale is that it's a crime against society therefore society is right. going to uh, get the money Well, society always didn't end up with the bruises about. on them That's, <laughs> right. That's <exactly laughs> yeah. right
0: when society takes the shot in the head then society gets the money
1: but the other problem though you run into is that when you talk about uh, you know coming bent down on the on the criminal then you have to look at who the criminal is and what their circumstances are for instance if you've got a criminal who's a who's a dad or and he's got some kids you know so you take a bunch of money away from him it's the kids who end up suffering who are you know innocent and also you know they have the bad fortune of having a criminal for a father. But you can, well, some but people would say, well, that dad should have thought about yeah, that. Yeah, you can do that till out. the son comes But the now. kids yeah. never had never, were never consulted. Well, that's... They're they're the, not I don't feel sorry for the, for the dad,
0: but I feel sorry for the kids. 643-1290 is the telephone number. It's left, right, and center with Schlemmer and Metzen. And we'll be right back. We're back, and we've got Les on the telephone. Hi, Les.
6: Uh, good morning, Mr. Seven. I hope it's not too bad. I thought something was wrong with the line. Um... Which they always talking about property life, uh, rights, right? When it, it comes to the law, and I find that it's really sad that when you invade somebody, you violate someone's property rights. It's caused so much to the environment. You rob the bank seven years but yet if you violate human rights it hardly goes out. like it's almost it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. i think it's really hard that it's always about property and less, always this thing is it's how rich you get is like the better defense you can buy right like, no, I mean, no less
2: you I, I would disagree with you entirely i would say property rights are human rights it's the only human right there is a property right defines which human has a right to a particular property. we got to get over this materialism, Bob. Some
6: not materialism. It doesn't make such a difference that what kind of a lawyer can I buy, how much money do I have, then we have to remove this somehow.
0: Well, I don't think any of the three of us would disagree with you that a legal system that was more accessible to all citizens would be better than what we have now. I think we'd all agree with you on that, Les. The system is cumbersome in that way, and if you do have a lot of money, you can get better representation than if you don't. Well,
6: uh, I, I think that even in Canada, it's sort of, okay, maybe it's not in, the can- in Canada, but but as far as you're talking about the United States, this some call that it's the most important country in the world, and it goes to the whole United States of thinking is going to global, and, and that's... that's uh, that's where law is heading for, you know, like mm-hmm. how much money you can buy, mm-hmm. how much law you can buy, how much freedom you can buy is size of your wallet. We're not yeah, talking huh? about Canadian law in here because you guys really just talked about what happens to the United States.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point today, Les. Good to hear from you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for calling. And again, I will repeat that, so either of you can refute me if you wish, but I don't think any of this would have any any, uh, argument with a system that perhaps was a little simpler and a little more accessible to everyone, regardless of the size of your wallet. Do I have any complaints about that?
2: Uh, Again, you know, the legal system would be more accessible to victims if the perpetrator of the crimes were more responsible for covering the cost of everything and that's part of the issue and and when Les complains or tries to divide property from human rights he's making a tr- tremendous error. Property is our human rights. We have no other way to express it in the physical world. Uh, your life is a property right. It's, it belongs to you. It doesn't belong to anybody else. When we say property right, we don't mean that property has rights. We mean that the people who own a specific piece of property are the ones who have a legal right to it and that we agree in society that only that person has a right to it when someone else comes and smashes your car window he doesn't have a right to it he has violated
1: you we may be talking about semantics, though, but from my, my perspective, I have always thought that uh, punishments should be more severe for personal violation, personal injury, uh, getting beat up and that kind of thing, than for loss of property. And I was struck, actually, I was talking with... Well, like,
2: it generally is, though, is it
1: not? Uh, no, not really. That uh, You talked about what, what the punishment is for an assault. An assault is a pretty minor crime. Like, uh, you can get pretty beaten up. And uh, I've always thought that, uh, I've been surprised by how light the sentences are for those, mm-hmm. compared to, uh, to a, a fraud or something like that. Um, but I was talking with uh, Kelly Tian from the Free Press a couple of months ago, uh, and uh, she was talking about how her her take on it was that in middle age, where you have more property, you become more concerned about property offenses, like break-and-enters and that kind of stuff. When you're younger, you don't have any property, so you're not as worried about losing what you've got. You're more worried about getting beat up and those kinds yeah, of I th- things.
2: Th- I think another issue, too, is that property is more measurable. If if somebody damages your factory and, and it costs half a million dollars to rebuild, you you can measure that damage. Mm-hmm. But if somebody just... Punches you in the mouth and you know leaves you bleeding with a, a scratch thing. for a while. No matter how rich you are, it still you it's exactly
1: it? the well, same. But
0: there's, a, but there's, a, I think there's a possibility for a for a misunderstanding here on the part of our listeners. And Jeff, you alluded to it a moment or two ago when you said semi-jokingly to Bob not to be so materialistic.
2: The, fully but, jokingly
1: but yeah <laughs> but, but
0: when bob when bob's talking about about property right you're not talking about materialism I'm not talking
2: about materialism at all I'm talking about human beings who are the who are the individuals who possess the right to specific property that's all it means that's all that term has ever meant and uh, unfortunately the left wing has divided the idea of property rights from human rights as though they could be two separate things. You cannot exercise a single human right without the right to property. You cannot exercise your freedom of speech without having the right to some form of property to express it. You get a radio station, a a newspaper, a piece of paper, a pen, a pencil, all these things are property that you have to be able to own to express your rights. I think where people
1: Uh, get wound up though is that there's a disparity in society between um, property in the sense of what you and I may possess as opposed to individual rights so we have a right to speaking or a right again to not be beat up or whatever those are the same no matter how rich or poor you are you've got exactly the same rights as the guy next door but if you if it's an issue of keeping the the stuff you've got or the things that that, you know you control there are huge disparities i think the people become concerned that there's an inequality in the justice uh... system in the sense that it protects those tangible things more than it does the individual right
0: yeah but jeff is that you mentioned kelly's comment and i would take issue with what she said uh, I think you can make the case that, that people, as they move into middle age and do accumulate things, their attitudes may change, but I would question whether it is because they have more material goods. Might it not, equal, you not uh, equally valid to say it is because they are maturing, because they have a greater understanding of their society, they've had more years to see what likely will work and what won't work, and I think most most uh, uh, rational, objective people looking at a system would say that a system where, where not only our bodies, but our possessions are protected, ultimately works to the benefit everyone if for no other reason than it promotes political stability and without political stability we're in all kinds of trouble no matter how noble our motives
1: you sound like an old guy there
0: <laughs> well, sound like my grandfather <laughs> well, absolutely, without property
2: rights you couldn't invest you couldn't create a future you couldn't create you couldn't put money aside to know that your property was going to be there to build a business and then know that those rights would be passed on to whoever you want to pass them on to uh... there is no stability without property rights that's what happened to all the the totalitarian countries in the world they never had any private property rights they had always the collective and it can only survive for so long.
1: But I would say you've got no stability if you don't have those human rights, if you don't have a right to protest.
2: Oh, no, 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 but nobody's... Uh, I, I, so we're balancing them. That, that's what we're talking
1: about. In well, an ideal world, we would have
0: protected I don't th- both, I we not I don't think you balance them. I think you put them both on the same plate right. and say they're equally important. They're the same thing. It's Let's actually. settle for that. Let's go back to the phones with caller Bud. Hi, Bud. Hi, how you doing? Fine, thanks.
5: This is a show. Uh, 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 along the lines of property, uh, the philosopher John Locke first uh, coined the phrase, life, liberty and the pursuit of
1: property.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Not pursuit of happiness, pursuit, mm-hmm. of, uh, pursuit of property. Mm-hmm. So that's how I thought I'd throw that in. And why did it change, do you know? Uh, I don't know.
5: It's changed over the years, mm-hmm. the pursuit of happiness, but John Locke is the one who coined that
0: phrase. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the call, bud. Sure. Appreciate it. Among those spin doctors who uh, signed the Declaration of Independence <laughs> in the American Constitution, <laughs> they were, were doing it even then, folks. <laughs> We're going to pause for just a second. There's still a chance for you to join us. If you've got something to say on this edition of Left, Right, and Center, pick up the phone and dial 643-1290. Claude Metz and Jeff Schlemmer with me on this edition of Left, Right, and Center, and this is the portion of our program where every week we take a look at uh, differing issues from the community and try to uh, apply, if you will, a little philosophy to them and uh, see what we can come up with. Um, We've been talking about a variety of things today, actually, and property rights and uh, and the right of the individual to have their record concealed from a jury, and we've talked about Bill Clinton and what's happening to him a little bit. Guys, I want to, uh, I don't know if we can find any closure for this issue of property rights and so on, but I I I will ask you this, and I'm going to ask each of you guys the same question. Given that there are changes coming in our legal system—a uh, greater emphasis, albeit I don't think enough—on victim, victim, excuse me, victims' rights. A look at alternative sentencing and sentencing forms, and so on. Uh, a number of reports are coming forward, and a number of more and more prominent individuals are speaking out against our current uh, legal po- positions on uh, on sex, so-called sex crimes and drug crimes. Uh, where do you think we're going to be ten years from now?
2: on those two issues? Well,
0: on just on the law generally, will it... do you think we're moving in the right direction?
2: Well, I think a lot of our movement in the right direction is being... is, is happening, but maybe for, for the wrong reasons, it's largely because the justice system's running out of money and resources to handle everything that it wants to handle. We have too many laws in this country. We have to get rid of a lot of laws, especially those laws that regulate individual behavior that does not violate other people's rights. We have a myriad of laws in this department. And uh, that, of course, includes drug laws and and prostitution laws and situations like that. Uh, I think that basically, yeah, we're going to be moving away from it, even if we still have a lot of these laws on our books today. Canada is extremely tolerant with a lot of drug situations. I mean, out in Vancouver, they're selling marijuana openly in retail stores. (laughs) It's hard to believe, but here it is happening in Canada. And it's causing problems uh, all around the world to see us doing it. Of course, Europe's doing it in a couple of places. And they they find that it isn't causing the problems that were predicted. If anything, what I think is a bigger problem, I don't like the idea of talking about, quote, legalizing, for example, prostitution, and then, quote, regulating it, other than perhaps licensing it, just to let somebody know that (coughs) the business is is in existence. Excuse me. But uh, uh, beyond that, I don't want to see any kind of regulatory agencies looking after these things, because that's going to be more bureaucracy and more reason to drive the business underground again.
0: Jeff, what do you think? You're a lawyer. You work within this system on a daily basis. Do you think we will be see a significantly different system 10 years from now?
1: Uh, well, I, I don't think so in the sense that uh, we've got a system that's been around for uh, several hundred years. I think it will certainly evolve, and uh, in some ways the evolution is happening more quickly. Um, I think that the, the real challenge, though, is that I think at, at root the laws have to mirror what you and I think is fair. You know, that we think that... Uh, you know, if you do something bad, you have to be punished in a fair way. And that means, you know, from the left, you may say, well, don't go too hard on them. From the right, you may say, well, you know, throw the book at them, whatever. But I think that the challenge is that the laws have to mirror the morality of the society and that where you get away from that, you run into a, a perceived uh, hypocrisy, for instance, where there's a perception, as one of the callers said, that there's, there's more justice if you've got more money. and That's a big problem right now. And it's true, you know, if you can hire Eddie Greenspan, like uh, Reagan has done out in uh, Nova Scotia, you know, you... You're paying that money for a reason, and that reason is you expect them to get you off. That's basically true under any system. Well, that's right. It. But I think the challenge is to try and try and uh, uh, minimize those kinds of effects. Uh, the other big challenge is to simplify the system. And one of the problems that's happened in the last 20 years, I think, is that as they've become tried to become more sophisticated and dealing with situations in a more realistic way, uh, they've they've been inclined to put more and more paperwork in place, more and more sort of time spent. Uh, And and that just can't continue, because then you run into the problem that that in and of itself becomes unfair.
0: Why don't we, what would prevent us from, and I don't want to shake you up here, Jeff. What would prevent us from doing away with lawyers and and setting up a system wherein you had uh, a judge who was extremely learned, who learned everything, all the lawyers knew, and a whole bunch more. And having individual the, the idea that an individual could go into court and represent himself like those tv tv
2: well. shows that they've got out there judge judy
0: well is, yeah. <laughs> is that what you're talking well, about <laughs> that's my poster child for why it wouldn't work <laughs> yeah but that, i mean i think that, that that's a, a little that example maybe is a little out of context of what i mean but the idea that i i find it distressing that that we have a legal system that can affect the rest of your life in fact uh, it can ultimately lock you up for the rest of your life, and you can't access this system by yourself. You cannot. In, in, the The system doesn't want you to, and you're stupid to do it. As Mark Twain said, a, a person who defends himself is a fool for a client. Um, it's distressing to me that you cannot go before that system on your own. And say, here I am. Here are the facts as I understand them. Here are the people who you know who who were there who saw whatever the case may be. And we put yourself. We I put myself in your hands. Uh, The the problem with that, and by the way, that's
1: happening much more than it ever used to, with the cuts in legal aid that uh, I believe it's about a third of people who who go to criminal court nowadays don't have lawyers. They're there by themselves and making the best of it. The problem with it is that the ultimate goal of a lawyer is to persuade somebody of something. And that is a real difficult art. It's not a science at all. But
0: should we be trying to, quote, persuade? You'll be doing it if you're standing there. But should we have one eloquent individual trying to, quote, persuade the justice system that this is right?
1: Again, the problem is that, uh, that uh, the fact is that some people are more persuasive and you want to hire them to try and uh, sell your case. If you've got to do it yourself, it's real hard. Right.
0: Maybe that's a topic we can address on another day. Thank yeah. you, gentlemen. Always thought-provoking and uh, uh, interesting to have you here. The guys will be back again next Wednesday for the next edition of Left, Right, and Center.